1116 SEN. This is the Flag Flyers for the American Australian Association, devoted to strengthening relations between the United States and Australia. Hello everyone and welcome to the Flag Flyers, the place where we profile and chat about all the Aussies who find the flag first in the US of A. I'm Christopher Tyler. Alongside me is Lucky Miller. Hello, my friend. Hello. What's going on? What's going on? Um, massive, massive, massive excitement uh, around Tim Tebow time. <laughs> I know we were talking about this off air and we said that so, we weren't going to speak about it, but I want to speak about it. So Jordan Berry got signed by uh, Pittsburgh and the NFL news that you wanted to come to the table with at the very start of our show is the fact that Tim Tebow signed with the Eagles. That's what you're starting off with. Yeah. You're mentioning Tim Tebow before you mention Jordan Berry. The NBA playoffs are at the moment. How dare you speak ill of Tim the Tebow? The NBA playoffs have got however many Aussies. What was it? Four or five Aussies. And yet you still choose to start the show with Tim Tebow. No one in the sporting world is bigger than Tim Tebow. Okay. So do not <laughs> pass his name in you know with absolute disrespect like you're doing now. Tim Tebow coming into the Phillies, uh, into the Phillies lineup with... Uh, uh, it's not Matt- baseball. not the Phillies. Oh, sorry, the, the Eagles, sorry, then. I'm talking about Philly as in Philly. Oh, yeah, Matt Barkley, Mark Sanchez, uh, who has they brought, they brought in? What's his face from? Stafford. Um, uh, no, um, uh, from the Rams. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, For some reason. ACL, Pop. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bradford, Sam yeah, Bradford. That's why I got Stafford and Bradford mixed up. Yeah. I always get those two mis- yeah, mixed up. Yeah. Um, and uh, and uh, Tim Tebow and uh, I think yes. So you know it's going to be a bit of a um, bit of a circus there, um, which will be interesting. But um, I suppose yes, the one we've got to talk about is Jordan Berry, you know, <laughs> who was one of our very first interviews on this show. Yeah, no, I'm stoked. I I think um, I'm in one in one respect. I'm massively excited because you know he's he's gone to Pittsburgh and he's a legitimate uh, prospect, or you know he deserves to be at that level. I mean, as much as you know, um, but yeah, I'm just I don't feel that great about the fact that it has to be Pittsburgh where Brad Wing is yeah. already at, which means that there's probably going to be one less Aussie than there could have been, unless Brad Wing gets picked up somewhere else. But well, I mean, Brad's still got his contract. I mean, uh, Jordan will still have to compete for it. I mean, I'm going to back Jordan in every day of the week, but um, uh, as as I'm sure uh, you, you would as well, we're, we're Team Jordan. Absolutely. Do we have t-shirts? The major? flag flies own. Do we have t-shirts? Uh, we can certainly get some. How about I be up. Team Jordan, you be Team Brad? I'll, I'll be Team whoever, as long as it's an Australian, mate. I don't care. Oh, okay, right. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're, we're, we'll jump on the bandwagon and, uh, yeah, looking for... I mean, I'm not a fan of the Steelers, I, I, I have to admit, but um, I'll get over that. But the other rumour that's going around, it's not unconfirmed at the moment, is that there is another Aussie external to Brad Wing, external to Jordan Berry, external to Tom Hornsey, and it's not Matt McMurray. And it's not Sav Rocker. It's not Ben Graham. Okay, oh, this has gone way longer than I thought. <laughs> that's going to at least be at a training camp after the NFL draft. As a punter. As a, as a, yes. I was going to try and be um, vague, but it, yeah, it is a punter. And it's a big team. Well, they're, they're all big. They're all th- well, actually, no, it's not Jacksonville. Jacksonville are trash. <laughs> um, but uh, he's gone to a big team uh, and uh, uh, potentially, and uh, look, that just means at the very least there could be one, two, three, four Aussies on rosters, potentially five or six. That'd be nothing compared to what it'll be in five, ten years. I think uh, it'll be nothing. the Australian position. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And uh, I think uh, what else has happened in the last week or two well, in, on the football front? We've on got, the football front, there's not much. But we got ball. So we did have Blake in. Blake's gone to Michigan. Blake O'Neill. Yes, the flag flies own Blake O'Neill. All these guys are the flag Probably sponsored by Vivian's Models. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm going to keep running with it. Again, if you want to go back and have a listen to any of these chats that we have done in the past, including the chats with Blake O'Neill or, or Jordan Berry or whoever it might be, you can go um, and check it out uh, on our... We always tweet out our chats as well. You can find it on the SEM website, sen.com.au as well, and on, on, on the Flagflies website as well, flagflies.com.au. So make sure you just check out any of those platforms and you can find the chats there. And uh, and then yeah, so uh, and then we got some we got some college news coming up soon. There should be some big signings. I like this teasing business. Yeah, well, I mean, I would be killed if I actually uh, said publicly what it is yet because I got told not to sell, tell anyone. But look um, at you with your sources. You know the same source. Don't don't <laughs> don't, don't don't put that special treatment on me. Uh, so yeah, that's exciting. And uh, obviously, we got a chat with Damien Arsenis in a 
in a few minutes' time that uh, is talking about some of the uh, off-season movement in the college system of our men's basketball players. So there's a lot happening, even though it's it's uh, winding up into the off-season of the two uh, marquee college sports programs. Absolutely. And NBA playoffs are on at the moment, so we've got a whole bunch of Aussies participating there. We'll speak to Tom Reed a little bit about that uh, very, very soon in rounding the bases. But also on the show, Lockie, very, very special guest today. The human man bun himself. <laughs> the human man bun, Hugh Greenwood. He is a champion of New Mexico. We've, we've had a number of Aussies go through that system, of course, starting with Luke Longley, three-time NBA champion. But it was... He, he's, he's a phenomenal guy. Does he still have the man bun? Hugh? Yeah. Let's say yes. Oh, okay, cool. Absolutely. But it, it, I'm very, very much looking forward to chatting with him because he is... A, an outstanding talent and just an, an awesome guy. So make sure you stay tuned for that. We're going to be, again, tweeting out uh, the, the chat and all this sort of stuff. So make sure you stay tuned. But let's get into the show, Lockie, because it is a jam-packed show and we haven't got too much time. So let's start it off with uh, rounding the bases. Joining us on rounding the bases this morning is Xavier Player from Hewitt Sports Network. Xavier, thanks for joining us. Not a problem, gents. How are we? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Now let's start off with, uh, I guess, some disappointing news for uh, Aussie Grant Balfour, who's been designated for a sign by Tampa Bay this afternoon. Yeah, very frustrating indeed. Look, before we get too much into it, I'm going to explain the process of being designated for assignment because it's a bit of a confusing one. So when a player is designated for assignment, they're immediately removed from the 40-man roster. From that point, the player's team has 10 days from the day of the designation to either return the player to the 40-man roster, to trade the player, to release the player, or outright the player to the minors. A player can only designated for assignment when the 40-man roster is full and they need to bring someone up. So Tampa Bay have got someone in mind they're bringing up and Belf's the unlucky guy who's had to go the other way. Belfour is released, so nothing happens after the 10 days. The Rays pay out the rest of his salary, which I believe is $7 million. Right. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. It makes zero <laughs> sense. It's I've... very confusing. The whole the whole situation, there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, particularly in baseball, in regards to contracts and how players are moved back and forth from certain situations. It don't really quite make sense to a lot of people, but and, we get the basic gist of it. Yeah, and, and the DFA is probably the most confusing one. Now, Kevin Cash, who's the uh, Rays manager, came out on... Night and said, you know, it was a really difficult decision because of what Grant's done to the organisation and how he's pitched in a lot of big games. But it was kind of a need for the team going forward. They're getting a little short in the bullpen. They need lots of innings. And where we're, where they're at with injuries and situations, it was very much a deciding factor. Belfour also, um, unfortunately, is the team's oldest player at 37 years old. But in saying that, he has the second most appearances ever in Tampa Bay Rays slash Devil Rays history with 274. The only problem is the last few have been uh, less than impressive. Yeah, not great, including giving up a grand slam against the Yankees. And I think part of the thing that also hurt a lot of his teammates, in fact, he was such a popular figure in the clubhouse. Yeah. Well, Did you say that he was the leading start player for Tampa? He has the second most appearances in Tampa Bay Devil Rays slash Rays history. He has uh, 274 appearances, and Joel Peralta has 296 appearances. That's not too bad. That's, so that's a, a very impressive stat, and one that I don't think many people would have guessed. No, not at all. So, so what's next for Grant now? Uh, next for Grant is, um, I think that he'd be hoping that a trade's likely rather than uh, moving into free agency. There's been some talk of Toronto being a popular destination, which is where Liam Hendricks is. We'll get to that in a, how Liam's going in a second, but I think the best result for him, whether it's free agency or trade, is just to be picked up by a big league club. I know that he doesn't want to go back to the minors, and you can understand why. You know, he was going to be on $7 million over two years for Tampa Bay. He was expected to play a big role, and he's had a really tough year already. Because that contract was signed, when was it signed? Last year or the year before? Uh, I think he signed that at the end of last year. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's still a relatively fresh contract. Yeah, first, first year of a two-year deal. And look, he's had a very tough year both on and off the field already, so... Fingers crossed for Grant that he can land at another big league club within the next week and a half, and we're seeing a great improvement in his performance. So let's move to Liam Hendricks now from Kansas City. We mentioned him before. How's he uh, shaping up? At, uh, it's, it's still a relatively early season, but uh, he hasn't been designated for assignment like Grant Belfour, which is good news, but how has he been going? Look, early days, but he's going well. At this point of the season, he's pitched Six innings, nine strikeouts, three appearances in the last week where he pitched a total of three innings, five strikeouts in that time. 
only given up one hit in that time. So very impressive numbers uh, from Liam in the last week. And I think that he's certainly been part of the Blue Jays sort of starting to find their feet a bit in the AL East. Absolutely. Now let's uh, finish off uh, your your segment on uh, Randy Bases this morning and chat about uh, something from the weird and wonderful world of baseball. We spoke about uh, we started this last week. It's something that you want to bring to your segment each and every week. So, what are you bringing to the table this week in regards to the weird and wonderful world of baseball? I've got three this week. I started out with one, thought of a second one when I jumped on the phone to you, and you mentioned the third one. So we'll start with yours, which is John Lester making a play at first while the ball was stuck in his glove. <laughs> Took up his glove, threw it to first base. I saw it a couple of times today on Fox Sports, and uh, it was it was quite the move. I, I personally hadn't seen it before, but uh, you said you, you have experienced yeah, that I, uh, at some stage or another. Times, and it, it, it's quite the move because it's not as easy as it looks. The second one I'm going to go to is The Red Sox and Nationals were playing last week, and in the seventh inning of a come-from-behind victory, the Red Sox scored three runs without getting a hit. Without getting a hit? So either errors or walks? So uh, bases loaded by walks. Then with bases loaded, there was a a very weak grounder by Ryan Hannigan back to the pitcher. The pitcher went to pick the ball up and put it in his glove, fumbled it. That's error error number one. So a run scored there. Then he's recovered, gone to throw to the pitch, the pitcher, missed it. It's gone all the way to the backstop. Runners have further advanced. That's error number two. Oh. Second run scores there. So there's now men on first and third. And actually second and third at this point, rather. And the next batter grounds to shortstop, who's playing in. Shortstop fields it no problem. Looks at home base for about a good three or four seconds and opts to throw to first when there wasn't two outs in the inning. The third run scored on a fielder's choice. (laughs) That is disgraceful. The weirdest for me, though, we're we're going back to the Chicago Cubs. You see it all the time at a ball game. Oh, foul ball. People chase it. They catch it. It's great. Everyone claps. The Cubs. Uh I know what this one is. But occasionally you see them catch it in a a strange way. Now, I've seen people catch foul balls with their hats. I've seen people catch foul balls with bare hands. I don't think bare hands is weird. Americans still find the concept of catching something bare handed very strange. <laughs> but the winner this week goes to the Chicago Cubs fan who caught a foul ball with their beer. Yeah, I saw it, and then he scolded it. Now, this, this story gets better because the ball got stuck in the beer, so he finished off the beer to get the ball out. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the only way of doing it. Exactly. That's how I'd approach the situation. Oh, I thought it was a female. Yeah. I, no, it's a dude. It, I don't know. I don't know if it was a man or a woman, but either way, it's an impressive feat. No, because it, it it actually happened again. I, I think, in, and I think there was this article on ESPN today or something saying that, oh, please don't let this be a new tradition at the Cubs. Because um, oh, uh, wow. I'd, I'd only seen I'd only seen the one that happened. Yeah, no, I think um, I think it happened again, or at least uh, there was a um, a home run caught and the fan put it in their cup and then sculled the beer. Um, Fantastic. So, yeah, so uh, I don't know. That could have been it. So yeah. there you go. Uh, while they're trying to uh, bring something new to a very old and historic, albeit um, unsuccessful, organisation. Oh, they're getting there. They're getting there. Xavier, thank you so much for joining us. I'm reading the bases again this morning, and uh, we'll make sure to catch up with you next week. Hopefully, we've got some better news uh, when it regard when it's in regards to uh, Grant Balfour. But we'll see how we go throughout the week. Very good. Talk to you then. Also joining us on rounding the bases this morning is Adrian Jansen from AussieGuysNFL.com. Adrian, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. How are you going, boys? Good, good. Now, the biggest news uh, in regards to the Aussies in the NFL for this week is the fact that one of our friends here at the Flag Flies, Jordan Berry, has just signed on with the uh, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yes, great news for Jordan Berry. Maybe not such good news for Brad Wing. Obviously, he was uh, playing there last season. Didn't play probably as well as he'd probably have, had hoped he would play. But uh, at, at least we know that there's probably a decent chance that there's going to be at least one Australian punting in uh, in Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's right. They've actually got three three punters on the roster, but yeah, two of them are uh, Aussies, two, actually from Melbourne. I'd actually say Richie Leone, uh, the the other punter, as we call him, we call him the other one, um, <laughs> is actually uh, is a legitimate shot uh, shot to probably. Um, I, I reckon that should be Jordan and Richie Leone. I reckon Wing's going to get cut because he didn't have a great year. Um, no. And the story from uh, from the triad is that Jordan. Uh, rocked up, had his tryout, and they signed him on the spot. They didn't even want him to go to his other trials that he had. They didn't, really? even, they didn't even think about it. They just said, we've got a contract, sign it. So um, Pittsburgh obviously really liked him, um, and uh, and uh, I think it uh, it bodes well because Jordan's got a, got a massive leg, um, and uh, I think that he will uh, 
will show his wares properly. Um, you know, when when the time comes. You mentioned that um, that you're, you're speaking about all the rookies on your on your show over the last couple of weeks. So how can we listen to that? Yeah, just on iTunes if you're an iPhone person or on Stitcher. And we've gone through all the positions so far. So um, apart from defensive backs, so this year we've got say, uh, sorry, this week we've got safety and cornerback that we're breaking down, and we're going to follow that up with a mock draft show. Beautiful, real close too. So it's getting exciting. I, I can't wait for it. I'm most likely going to take a day off. Let's be honest and uh, just sit back and uh, have a couple of beers and just watch on with interest. But uh, mate, thank you so much for joining us once again. And we'll, uh, I'm sure, we'll speak to you before the draft anyway, and and, and get uh, some more of your thoughts in the lead up to that. Wonderful. Thanks for having me on, guys. Finishing us up on rounding the bases this afternoon is Damien Arsenis from PickandRoll.com.au, who's also going to be joining us after the break to have a chat with Hugh Greenwood. Of course, the uh, New Mexico champion just finished off uh, his collegiate career with New Mexico over the past couple of months, so we'll be having a chat with him very shortly. But Damien, you're going to come in. You're in the studio, actually, and uh, there's some transfer news that uh, we want to talk about. There certainly is. We've got a number of Australian men who've transferred away from their existing schools from last season. Which is, uh, I guess, what, what do you kind of take away when you see such a, a large number of Australians transferring? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it just the fact that they just want more opportunity? How, how do you see it? Look, most of the time it comes down to opportunity. It's the players have made a decision on where to go, um, at which school to attend. Some may have had lots of offers. Some may have had one or two. They choose a school. They go there. And sometimes it doesn't work out. And I guess in, in the majority of cases, it's usually they didn't get the playing time that they were hoping to get. Uh, we saw in the statistics, though, that you put in your article that's on pickandroll.com.au that uh, nearly all the time they're not going to a better program, they're going to a lower division or they're going to a lesser Division One team. Yeah, uh, the, the stats are quite clear on that. And uh, I guess those that are transferring, they're looking for more playing time. And generally, if you're going to go from a D1 program, that usually means... And uh, 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 sounds bad, but it means a step back rather than a step down and or a step sideways. So that could be a a lower D one program or Division two as an example. So how, how how does this work in terms of why why are they getting recruited to top programs in the first instance? Are they being overrated from a junior perspective? Oh look, it, it can come down to a multiple number of issues. It, maybe they were overrated. Maybe uh, the change of coaching personnel, the new coach comes in, recruits his own players, uh, goes for a different game style. Uh, a number of things can happen, but ultimately something changed or something didn't work out. And, you know, sometimes these students need, as student athletes, and they are student athletes, they need to make a decision what's best for them. And sometimes that means changing schools or deciding to leave college. And is it a, a, an issue about being comfortable as well? Because we're seeing a lot of these students transfer to schools with other Australians, and usually if they are sharing a school with another Australian, you don't see them moving as much. Is that, does that at all a factor for you? Well, it's interesting. You, you sort of mentioned the Australian connection. I think that seems to work, but a, a few of these transfers that have just come through in the last week, um, they've actually, ha- in programs where there's Australians there with them, um, and I'll use an example, is Jared Eustace and Joshua Oswald uh, been attending Miami, Ohio, and both of them are leaving the program, and, and for very similar reasons. They're playing opportunities after their first freshman year, um, just dwindled into their second year, so they've chosen to leave, but there's an Australian connection there, two Aussies, and they're leaving. Uh, the, the new regulation that's coming in, I think it's August this year, that stipulates that uh, a team cannot uh, cut uh, a player's scholarship money on due to athletic performance may actually turn the tide in favour of the athlete, meaning that if they want to transfer, the coaches may not uh, stop it, stand in the way of them having to lose a year of eligibility by being an approved transfer. Yeah, that's quite possible. I I can see that potentially having a a big effect across the college programs and not just basketball, but but all the sports. Um, But look, we've got another one again, coming back to the Australian connection. You've got Jeremy McKay, who's been at Albany and Albany have been very successful and had a number of Australians. We all look back to Peter Hooley's performance um, in the America East tournament. And, you know, he's leaving Albany after redshirting his season, and he's going to another program with a lot of Aussies. He's going to Eastern Washington. He's going to team up with uh, Venky Joyce. That's right. Venky Joyce, Felix von Hoff, and Michael Wern is joining the program next uh, next season. And uh, Jesse Hunt, who's got ties back to Australia as well, he's um, he's joining the program as a freshman next year. So out of all these guys who are transferring, who do you think will have the most impact on their new team? Well, it's hard to um, determine what impact they're going to have, given the majority of these guys will have to sit out a year. And we don't know where some of them are going. 
That's right. How long, so, do, they, how long do, do they normally have to uh, actually confirm where they're going? When, when do they have to make the decision by? Good question. I'm not in, entirely sure about that. Lockie, do you know? Uh, no, I don't. Off the top of my head, no. Yeah, look, I'm not, I'm not sure, but uh, they can keep their options open for quite some time. For example, a couple of the other guys um, that are transferring, uh, we talked about McKay and, and Eustace and Oswald. Eustace is actually coming home to Australia looking for some opportunities here. Um, but you've got Cade Towers from Nickel State, uh, Matt Hancock, who's already spent three years at Lamar, and you've got Marley Biondolo, who's been at Pepperdine. So we've got some players there that are looking for opportunities. Most of them want to stay in the college program. Um, where that's going to be next season, we don't know yet. But Jared Eustace is definitely coming home to Australia. Beautiful. Damien, thanks for joining us on Rounding the Bases. We'll speak to you after the break when we have our chat with uh, Hugh Greenwood, New Mexico, let's call him champion. Oh, definitely, and looking forward to it. Chatting to Australians flying the flag in the US of A, this is the Flag Flyers. After four terrific seasons in New Mexico, Australian Hugh Greenwood has finished his collegiate career as one of the all-time cult heroes for the Lobos. We've been singing his praises for a long time now, and he joins us on the line from the States. Hugh, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Not a problem. Now, you were forced to take on more of a, uh, a scoring role this season after being more of a facilitator over the, your first three seasons uh, in New Mexico. Was this something that uh, before your senior season, you kind of put up your hand and said uh, you want to take on, or was it something that the coaches kind of came to you and said, this is kind of what we're expecting from you for this season? Uh, no, I think it's uh, it's something that I always planned on doing. It's it's a background that I've had in, in previous teams back home in Tassie in Australia. And um, but with the talent we've had, we've had four or five go, guys go to the draft the last, last couple of years. So I've been more of a facilitator for those guys. And came in this year, play, was was initially planning of playing off the ball with uh, Cullen Neal playing the point guard. But unfortunately, he went down. I think third game into the season and was done for the rest of the year. And um, so I was. Uh, relied upon to score a lot more, but that's what I, the plan was originally. But without him, it made things difficult. But uh, uh, yeah, it, it was still a fun year. Do you have a preference as to what you prefer to do? I guess you've you've had uh, quite a lot of experience doing both. Is there a certain role that you see more for yourself, or, or do you, do you kind of just uh, take whatever comes? No, I think everyone likes scoring the ball. <laughs> if you ask anyone, they want to shoot as many times as they can. So I certainly enjoyed that aspect of it. But uh, it is a team game. And I've always enjoyed getting others involved and uh, doing whatever it takes to win. And uh, unfortunately, we didn't have the success that we've had the last couple of years. And um, I had some good games and I had some down games, but that's the way it is. And um, Like I said, it's, it's, it's a tough question. Uh, it, basically, whatever it takes to win, but I think if you ask most people, I think they'll want to put up as many shots as they can. Don't blame you for that at all. So yeah, exactly. you've, yeah, yeah. So after experiencing a lot of success over your first three years, there was no postseason appearance for you guys this year, and you finished eighth in the Mountain West Conference. So how did that stack up to the team's expectations? And I guess coming down to it, what was the most difficult challenge for you? Uh, with the program that we have here at UNM and the success we've had the last couple of years, we've built a foundation of, of being competitive and winning championships. I mean, we've won. We won five out of the last six coming into this year, um, including regular season Mountain West and the Mountain West Conference Tournament in Vegas. Um, So we came in with the same expectations that we've we've had every year, and uh, we certainly had the team to do it. We had the the formula never changed, um, but unfortunately just things didn't work out, and that's sports. You're going to have your down years, and unfortunately it happened at a a bad time my senior year. I was hoping to go out on a positive note, um, but that's not the way it worked out. But, uh, you know, without making excuses, we had some injuries, um, that obviously that affected our season and uh, we had some games that were, were in most games we were competitive for every game and uh, we just came under four minutes and we just couldn't get some wins on the board but like I said that's sports and uh, the guys will be really good next year again I reckon uh, just as you touched on, it was somewhat of a, an interesting or strange season for yourself, both on and off the court, uh, with a variety of issues, uh, you know, all of which I think we all uh, uh, agree that you handled incredibly well. What, what's been the, the one thing throughout this season, I suppose, outside of, um, you know, the, the performance that you've learned um, that you take away from, you know, and try and uh, take a positive note out from your senior season of basketball at the Lobos? Yeah, I had a lot of my play this year, honestly, um, between leading the group, um, the expectations again of, of winning and, and the city um, they put a lot of pressure pressure on us to perform and, and that's the biggest thing and trying to graduate my senior year I'm trying to graduate in time and uh, with my mum being re- re-diagnosed with incurable secondary breast cancer um, when I flew home at the end of my junior year so coming into my senior year not knowing uh, what was going to happen there and starting my own fundraiser which was a lot of fun but took up a lot of time as well so 
there has been a lot of positives. Um, at the end of the day, we you know we won some games, and I, I certainly enjoyed my senior year playing in front of the fans. They, they never left us, and uh, the, the fundraiser has been incredible, incredibly successful, and hopefully hopefully going to graduate in the next couple of couple of weeks. So there's a lot of things to look forward to, and a lot of uh, positives out of this year. That's for sure. We did want to touch on uh, your charity for a moment uh, just before we move on. Of course, it's called Pink Pack. You can uh, check them out on uh, Twitter at HG Pink Pack. And is there a website as well that we can uh, check out as well? Yes, there is unmfund.org. If you just type that in, it'll take you straight to the donations page and uh, give you a little bit of, uh, of information about uh, what we do and, and, and what it's all about. Perfect. And you guys are starting selling shirts. How's that been going? I hear that it's kind of gone gangbusters a little bit. Yeah, it's been fantastic. It's uh, we've done a lot of different things. We've had a lot of local businesses really get involved. Um, yeah, we've 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 had T-shirts that, that every time we ordered some, they sold out at every game. So we've been continually ordering them. They've made their way back to Australia. And yeah, my two are on the way at the moment. Uh, I think. Oh, they are. Yep. Uh, they look really cool. They came out really well. There's some, you know, we've got the black, pink, and white with our with our logo on the front. It's been and with the cancer. Uh, the UNM Cancer Centre logo on the back and our, our Twitter address so guys, people can make donations. We've got wristbands coming in. We've we've done a lot of different things. We've done everything we can within the guidelines of NCAA rules and things like that to raise as much money as we can. And uh, it, Like I said, it's been really, really successful and really honoured to uh, to do something this, this big within our community here in Albuquerque. That's awesome. And you know, giving back um, is has been a big part of what you've done. And I think all of us back home have really appreciate and, and value what you're doing over there and what you've done, not only for Australian basketball, but you know for a great cause uh, such as that. So back onto the court, obviously New Mexico is mm-hmm. one, one of many schools with a rich Australian history. Uh, we've had Luke Longley all those years ago. And of course, last season, Cam Bairstow and, and a couple in between. So Cam's in the in the playoffs with with the uh, the Bulls against the Bucks at the moment. So have you spoken to him the last few yeah. weeks? And do you chat with him often? How's it going? Yeah, I, actually, I was on the phone to him. What was it? Friday for about an hour, I reckon. Um, <laughs> he's obviously pretty busy uh, with everything that he's got going on, but we try and stay in touch as much as we can. But yeah, we spoke for a good hour the other day. He's got some stuff that he wants to talk about with his own fundraising stuff in the off season, and uh, he's uh, doing some camps back here in Albuquerque, but giving back again to the community here. So. We're bouncing ideas off one another, and, and he was giving me his insight of, of what the season was like, and different position for him with obviously uh, not playing as much as he anticipated. But uh, with him, he's a guy that always works hard and is going to stay ready. And uh, we've got another teammate, Tony Snell, that's playing with the Bulls as well, a mutual teammate of ours um, that's played some significant minutes this year, and he's excited for the playoffs and, and, and obviously representing the Boomers later in the year as well. Uh, just on Cam, uh, you, you obviously witnessed firsthand uh, his uh, rise to prominence in his senior season. Um, obviously, turning from a, a, a very good college player into an NBL, uh, uh, NBA uh, caliber player. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what was the point of the season where you just you, you noticed like a, a noticeable change? Where you thought, "Yep, yeah, he, he's going to make it. He's going to take that next step." Yeah, it was. Well, it was towards the end of his junior year, so my sophomore year. He started. He started the last couple of games and then got the momentum going into the Mountain West Conference tournament and ended up getting in the all-conference tournament team. Um, so he came into his senior year off the back of that and off the back of a really really successful uni games campaign um, where if they would have won it, he probably would have been MVP of the tournament. Um, and uh, then he just never looked back. He was a, he was a beast all season. Um, obviously, a lot of people question his, you know, his athleticism, his foot speed and things like that. But at the end of the day, he can, <laughs> he can flat out play, he can score. He, um, he did everything that we asked him and obviously scouts saw that and the Bulls gave him a chance and signed him to a two or three year deal and I think that it'll eventually pay off when he gets his opportunity. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people will disagree with you there. He works his he works his butt off and it was quite um, well yeah. known that straight after a game at home, he'd be back into the gym um, pumping the iron. Yeah. He's a machine. Yeah, he's a machine and, and uh, he's, he's, he's a Lobo great, that's for sure. And guys, and, and our program's definitely using him as, a, as an example of, of uh, what our program can do. And it's funny, we actually just signed today uh, an Australian guy as our associate head coach, Chris Harriman from Nebraska. He was originally at St. Louis, and so we've just signed him. So the Aussies will be coming through the, uh, through the Lobo program for years to come now. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that next. It's timely that we're yeah. speaking with you today. So yeah. especially given that you really were the last tie, the last Australian there, um, now, now with Chris coming on board, we keep that tradition going. So what do yeah. you think his signing will do for the Lobos? 
I think it'd be great. I think that he's got a history of uh, recruiting Aussies with Cody and that at St. Louis. Um, he's got some Kiwi guys at uh, Nebraska. Um, so hopefully we can keep the pipeline going. I know, I, I know it was pretty quiet um, when I was done. They asked me about guys and I told them to get on board. But um, it's just hard, I guess, with, with not having a coach that has those connections with Ryan Miller that recruited Cam and I and played professionally in Australia. So he had that connection with us. But uh, I know we're, we're pretty keen on a couple of Aussies over here in the high school system coming through. But um, I think Chris is going to you know, help that. And I think the, the coach Neil knew that. And I think he made a good decision. Yeah, and, and we spoke about, or you just mentioned Cody Ellis, but he also got uh, Jack McVeigh over to Nebraska and Keanu yeah. Pindar is set to join join him there as well after another year at JUCO. Yeah, yeah, no, he's, yeah. So hopefully we can get that kind of calibre uh, players. Jack's obviously, I had a bit to do with him with the Boomers campaign last year. He's a great player and kid. And if we can get guys like that at the Lobos, I think the, the fans will be pretty happy. Now, you mentioned some of the guys that they're looking at in the high school system to go and join New Mexico next season. We'll just touch on him briefly. He made a visit on your last game in the pit was Isaac Humphreys. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there's yeah. a lot of talk and a, a lot of the fans in, in New Mexico really pushing for him to join the program. So g- given the relationship, you're both Aussies. Did you have any influence on what Isaac Humphreys is going to do? Oh, I mean, it's it's hard. You, you're biased, obviously. You want you want you, you got to talk it up, and we had a great... Great win on senior night, and uh, if any time that you come on a visit to the pit and you experience Albuquerque, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. And um, obviously, with him, he's going to have some uh, opportunities to visit some pretty big schools as well. So it depends what it depends what he's after. Um, he knows what he's going to get here at New Mexico. We've we've done all we can to try and get him, and uh, obviously, I've had a word to him here and there. But at the end of the day, I'm going to I'm going to uh, tell him what's going to be best for him. And I think New Mexico would be certainly be great, but I'm. Uh, you know, I can't make any promises, but he obviously is a great player, and if he's like any other Aussie that's come through this program, he's going to do pretty well. We're talking to Hugh Greenwood, former New Mexico Lobos. Hugh, what's the next step for you? You've obviously just uh, finished up your collegiate career. You're about to graduate in the next couple of months as well. What's the next step for you, and and uh, what what do you plan on on doing over the next couple of months? Well, I'm actually based in Vegas now. I moved out here a week ago. Um, with my agent Michael Oakes who's an Aussie guy and he's uh, set me up um, in a really good spot here at an Impact Training it's called Impact Training Facility that specialises in preparing guys for, for NBA workouts and and, uh, and yeah, basically opportunities like that so being here a week it's been tough but it's been really really cool and hopefully you get an opportunity to showcase what I can do over the next couple of weeks and give myself every uh, chance to, to play over here but um, give myself a good opportunity to prepare for uh, Boomer stuff and potentially NBL as well now, with the, with the host of Australian NBA and European stars making themselves available for the uh, 2016 Olympic qualifiers against New Zealand, are you uh, hoping to be a part of it? Absolutely. Yeah, and um, um, I've put my hand up for the Uni Games campaign, of, um, which is a stepping stone towards that, um, that Boomers uh, gig. So uh, it's something that I've, I've prided myself on. I love representing my country. It's something that I've always done and always... Um, love to do. I'm a captain, obviously, the under-19 team a couple of years ago, and I uh, always look forward to putting the green and gold on, and uh, I think that being here and being in this environment, playing against uh, and training against guys, preparing for the NBA is going to be the best, give me the best opportunity per, to prepare and be at my best when I get hopefully get that opportunity. Obviously, a lot of players that come through the college system uh, grow an attachment to the university and, and, and the opportunity that it gave it. Given whenever your playing career finishes, whether it's you know uh, five, ten years from now, do you ever see yourself going back into the system in a, in a coaching capacity, or you know be that recruiter and pillage Australian talent all the way to New Mexico? <laughs> yeah, that's the plan. Actually, uh, uh, in order to coach at the collegiate level, you have to have a degree. Um, so that's one of the priorities of getting my degree. Um, I want to have that in the back pocket. Obviously, it looks good on the resume, but if I ever want to get into coaching at the uh, college level. I need to have that, and that's why I went with a psychology degree with minor in communications. I feel like I can use that pretty effectively down the track with with coaching and recruiting, all that kind of fun stuff. And uh, I've made some pretty good connections here uh, since I've been in the States with uh, Coach Orford, uh, being at UCLA, and Coach Neil with the reputation he has here at UNM and the fans here. And uh, Who knows? I'd, I'd love to coach one day, but I'd like to play for as long as I can as well. As, as long as the body holds up, I plan on playing for a while. Just as an aside, and no bias um, uh, meant to just, you know, you don't have to say New Mexico, but if you had to pick a program yeah. that you'd want to coach at, where would it be? I'd love to coach here. I, I really would. I would love to coach here at UNM. It's, it's a fun place to play. The pit's incredible. A lot of pressure, a lot of expectations, but uh, 
you know, I'd love to coach here. Um, it's tough. It, it, it really is tough. Obviously, you've got your pinnacle programs at UCLA and Duke and North Carolina and those places. But uh, uh, New Mexico is my second home, and, and hopefully one day I can come back here and coach and, and, and yeah, experience that from yeah from a coaching standpoint. So just the last last bit on New Mexico. Your sister's there. Are you likely to head yeah. back and watch a game or two next year? I hope so. I really, really hope so. She's uh, she had a really good year this year, freshman year. She came in and. Uh, a lot of uncertainty, didn't know what to expect, but came in sophomore year motivated and she did she played some significant minutes, did really well, so I'm really excited for the, for her future and she's really pumped about getting her degree and, yeah, I, I, I love watching her play and, and hopefully that's a, a good excuse to come back here and visit. Now, let's just shift our attention from the American basketball scene to the Australian basketball scene and mm-hmm. the NBL is experiencing uh, a lot of turmoil or has been experiencing a lot of turmoil over the past couple of months with, with a couple of clubs going into voluntary administration all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. From your point of view, what, what do you see or how do you see the NBL as a destination point for basketballers as, uh, as someone who would be one of our premier talents? Is, is it... Uh, at all a, um, a destination that players actually want to come to, whether it be Australian talent or other uh, American players or, or, or players from Europe? Yeah, it's, it's a tough question. Um, obviously, I haven't been able to keep an eye on as much as I would if I was in Australia, but I know that um, when I talk to guys over here, they, all they want to talk about is playing in Australia one day. They, this the idea of the lifestyle of playing in Australia and um, being living in Australia is, is what's enticing for them. Um, I think it's certainly got competitive the last couple of years. We've had some big-name college guys go out there and um, some big guys coming back from Europe, Australian guys coming back from Europe and playing in the NBL. So it's unfortunate to see the way it is at the moment. Um, but I guess this happens every year, supposedly, and, and I've seen it certainly happen the last couple of years and, and, it, and it manages to work itself out. And Hopefully, you know, this situation is no different. And uh, the idea of coming at home and playing one day is, is really exciting, whether it's now or whether it's in the future. It's something that I'm always going to... Uh, keep my options open, especially with my mum's health. We don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of years, so that would be nice to be close to home and uh, being able to, to see my mum and my family regularly. And But I, I certainly think Australian basketball will be fine and, and hopefully the NBL can, can work it out. Is there anything specifically that you would uh, change or I guess perhaps make the league a little bit more enticing for, for guys like yourself or other guys coming uh, to look for a career in the NBL? I'd... That's a tough one. I don't know. I don't. I don't really know what goes on behind the scenes. I don't know how that all that stuff works. Um, He's putting you on the spot. It'd be a team in Tasmania. We all know that. Yeah, that's true. Bring back Hobart Tassie Devils. <laughs> we got a Tassie Devils side back. Uh, there was there was rumours, and I was all on board for that. You started the rumour. Um, <laughs> I started the rumour. No, no, no. I was. So if yeah, if there was a Tassie team, I'd probably be back in a heartbeat. Actually, saying that, I wouldn't be uh, too against that either because I've actually got a, a Tassie Devils cap that I won, I think, in really? a Seawall game about ten years ago or something like that. So I'm, I'm all on board because I've already got the merch there ready to go. You've Look. already got the gear, exactly right. Yeah, we've got the gear. Everything's ready. Tassie basketball is incredible. We've got a, uh, the the Seawall programs. We get um, we get unreal crowds. It's really fun down there, and obviously. Um, we don't have many pro sports down there. When the Hawks go and play footy down there, everyone gets around it. So hopefully we get that opportunity in the next couple of years. I think Tassie really, would really flourish, and um, I think the support would be fantastic. We've got some pretty talented Tassie guys that would be keen to come back, that's for sure. Well, you just got to look at the under-20 nationals where they did so well as yeah. well. Yeah, they did really, really well. It's fun. I was, I was up until bloody 2.30 in the morning watching the game because it kept going into overtime after overtime. <laughs> it was worth watching. Yeah, some, some very good talent heading over to St. Mary's next year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Always is. Hugh, thank you so much for your time on the show, mate. We really appreciate it. Good luck with the charity, as always. Again, yeah, we can find the Pink Pack on Twitter at HG Pink Pack and the website as well. Mate, thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck with all your workouts. Hopefully you can land uh, a gig in the NBA. And if not, we'd obviously love to see you uh, in the NBL at some stage. But best of luck with everything, and thank you so much for uh, jumping on. No, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And I appreciate you guys keeping me up to date with everything that's going back in Australia and across the world. It's been awesome. Not a problem, mate. All the best. Chatting to Australians flying the flag in the US of A, this is the Flag Flyers. You're listening to the Flag Flyers on 1116 SEN. Joining us on the line now is Tom Reid from BelieveTheHypeNBA.com to talk about all things playoffs. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Chris. Thanks for having me again. Not a problem at all. Now, we had to get you on because it's, it's playoffs time at the moment. We're pumped. 
It is a playoffs are here, as people says. We're we're calling Simba. I'm looking forward. <laughs> and the best thing about these uh, the playoffs this year is is the fact that there is four teams with Australian representation, all of which you would probably give a relatively decent chance at actually taking the uh, the, the championship. Exactly, it's it's really exciting. I mean, all all four of the teams that have Australians on them, um, five Aussies in total, they're all contenders right now. And there's a good chance that come June we could have as many as three Australians playing in the in the finals if um, the San Antonio Spurs get there from the west, and then either the Cleveland Cavaliers or the Chicago Bulls get there from the east. Absolutely. Now let's start off with the the with the uh, Golden State Warriors, who obviously dismantled, or not dismantled, but beat uh, the Pelicans one hundred six to ninety nine yesterday. They finished with the best record in the NBA come the end of the regular season. And of course, the uh, the the warrior that we want to pay most attention to is of course Andrew Bogut, the man machine over there. He uh, played thirty minutes in that game yesterday, twelve points, fourteen rebounds, so a nice double double there from Bogey. What do you think of his performance? And he's really one of these guys that uh, is really going to be quite important if uh, the Warriors are going to make it all the way. Well, he was he was huge in this game, and especially at the start, they they really got him involved early on. The majority of his his points um, came in that first half. They were giving him a, a lot of touches. He had five assists in the game as well, and they were all in the first half too. And uh, Steph Curry was finding him in some good places. He was also finding Steph Curry in some in some pretty good open spots as well. So it was a um, uh, he, he he you know played really well, defended um, especially early on in the piece, not toward, necessarily as well towards the end of the game when he started to explode. But he defended Anthony Davis quite well too. And, and you're right, he's going to be so important for this team um, as a as a rim protector and as as a as a, a big man facilitator and a guy who can finish. Um, for the the Golden State Warriors, if they are going to be a threat in this uh, this year, which which they are, and, and a lot of that is for him. And it shouldn't come as much as a as uh, it shouldn't come as much of a surprise that his uh, minutes have already spiked from uh, his average throughout the regular season. He had he was averaging twenty three point six minutes per game throughout the season. Played thirty minutes today. We should probably expect that number to stay around the thirty minute mark, shouldn't we? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And you may even see it rise a little bit more as the. Um, as, as the playoffs go on and, and when they get into more tighter games, um, you know, further down the stretch. I mean, this game was 106 to 99 is, is sort of, a, makes it look a little bit closer than it actually was. They're up by 20 or 30 points, for, uh, 20 or points for a lot of this game. And it was really just Anthony Davis coming alive in that fourth quarter that, that brought the New Orleans uh, Pelicans back to a, a respectable total. But I mean, this is why they have Bogut. They got Bogut for the playoffs. They restrict his minutes throughout the regular season. And it, it's, it's, this is the time. This is where he's going to make his uh, his fifteen million dollars a year in these next couple of months. Going from one Aussie big man to another, and Cam Besto for the Bulls. The Bulls are playing the Bucks uh, in the first round in the East. The Bulls won that game one hundred three to ninety one. Cam Besto not suiting up, and we probably won't see him for uh, for the entire playoffs, however long uh, the Bulls stick around for. Yeah, it's unfortunate for Cam. I mean, most of his work is, is going to be done either at practice or um or high fiving guys as they come onto the bench for timeouts. Because um, I mean, the Chicago Bulls uh, they've got su- such a, a strong big man rotation with Noah and Gasol, who I mean, especially pa- uh, Pau Gasol played really well on the weekend. Um, Nikola Mirotic and Taj Gibson then coming off the bench as well. So unfortunately, there's probably not going to be as many minutes for Cam Besto. Uh, another good result for the Aussies today. Matthew Dellavedova and the Cleveland Cavaliers got over my Boston Celtics 113 to 100 today. Daly getting some minutes, nine minutes in that contest, two points, three assists. So not bad from Daly. Obviously, uh, once the rotation tightens up and, and Kyrie's getting more minutes and, and J.R. Smith's playing as well, then Dellavedova's not going to get a whole bunch of minutes. But, you know, he's showing enough there. One from one, so 100% from field goal. That's That's something. Yeah, that was good. He had a, had a nice little spin move in the paint, got to the hole, which is a which is an area where he's really struggled this year. He's he's, he's struggled um, around the rim, so it was good to see him um, uh, be able to, to do that against the Boston Celtics, and hopefully that helps him out with his confidence down low. Uh, but he, he played really well. He combined um, with James Jones a couple of times for um, you know, uh, for Jones to hit a three and a, a wide open two. So uh, those guys are forming a pretty good partnership off the bench. But um, yeah, once once again, he he was really solid. And, and he didn't seem phased by um by, by the Boston Celtics. Don't exactly have the best perimeter defense. Exactly, and one of the good things I guess about uh, the Cavaliers playing an opponent like the Celtics, who finished two games below 500, is that he might get some time in junk time at some stage, maybe in the third or fourth game, if the Cavaliers really are routing the uh, the Celtics. 
Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And uh, he'll probably might even see a little bit more time if um, I, I imagine that the, the Boston Celtics are probably going to, especially after Kyrie's performance today, probably going to try and target him a little bit and try and get him in foul trouble early. So um, I, I expect that at least be a, a, that happen at least once over the next three games, which which should give Delhi a, a little bit more minutes. And the fourth game to the, that we want to have a look at took place today: the Spurs falling at the hands of the Clippers, one hundred seven to ninety two. Of course, the Spurs kind of it was it was so um, so tight at the end of the regular season. Come in in the West, I think it was only one or two games from second to sixth, wasn't it? In the end, so the Spurs lost that crucial game against the Pelicans in that last game uh, of the regular season and ended up falling to sixth position, which means they had to take on the uh, the third seeded Clippers, which probably wasn't ideal. They uh, don't have uh, the home court advantage throughout the playoffs, but we would like to think that they would put on a better showing than they did in this contest. Yeah, and uh, this isn't, isn't this just an unfair playoff series, the San Antonio Spurs against the LA Clippers? Now, this should be something that we'd be looking forward to in the conference finals, or at least exactly. in the finals, but unfortunately, you know, this is the Western Conference, and so this is what we've got, and yeah, uh, today, two Aussies, um, Baines got a fair bit of court time playing 20 minutes, and um, and uh, Paddy Mills had 11 and, and came on as a um, as a guy who started a couple of runs for them at the start of the second quarter. He, he um, came on and spurred a run to get the, the San Antonio Spurs back in the game, uh, and then the same in the fourth hour behind, and, and he hit a couple of quick fire threes to, to bring them back into the contest again. Yeah, three from four from deep from Paddy. Finished with nine points and uh, two rebounds, one assist. Aaron Baines, five points, five rebounds. But I guess the biggest storyline for Aaron Baines throughout the contest wasn't um, anything he did per se, but what Blake Griffin did to him. Yeah, this was, uh, <laughs> this was a shame. Uh, he got posterized three different times by Blake Griffin, who has posterized everyone in the league anyway. But uh, I mean, the, the first time, you can 100% blame that on Baines. His, his, his footwork wasn't quite right, and, and Blake just beat him there. The second one was, I think it was a bit unfair, but um, you know, full credit to Baines for, for going for that. Um, there was a good pick and roll by Chris Paul to Blake, and, and it just left Blake wide open to the hoop, and, and Baines tried, tried to cover that. And the, the, the third one, once again, you can probably um, you know put a bit of blame on Aaron Baines for that. He was a bit late rotating and, and found himself in a in a bad position, but yeah, I, I think that Aaron Baines might be looking for for Blake Griffin's number to try and um to try and um, send him something after that. <laughs> Absolutely, let's have a listen to one of those dunks now. I was following this game on Twitter throughout the afternoon, and it's safe to say Twitter kind of erupted. Uh, <laughs> When, when Griffin was uh, performing this show against uh, Aaron Baines, there, there wasn't a whole lot of love for uh, for, for the Kiwi. <laughs> for the Kiwi. <laughs> it's days like these that, 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 that he's, um, he's New Zealand Aaron Baines, not Australian Aaron Baines. <laughs> exactly. Now, we'll, we'll just, support just, him. Just like whenever Russell Crowe throws a telephone. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <he's> Kiwi. <laughs> exactly. Now, before we finish up, you said that uh, you wanted to touch on Aaron Baines and you've got a bit of a story about him. Yeah, I, I just feel that Aaron Baines is is one of those guys that doesn't get as much credit and, and, and spoken about as much as, as he really should have. I mean, he's, he's an NBA champion, but when you think about the Spurs, everyone always thinks about Paddy Mills. He doesn't really get as much court time. I imagine that there's you know, quite a lot of Australians who, who know who some of these NBA guys are who don't necessarily know who, who Aaron Baines is, but just the story of him, I find, is one of the most incredible um, stories in Australian sport. The fact that the guy has only been playing basketball for about 10 years. He only... He, he, um, he started very late as a 15, 16-year-old, and, and it was almost as soon as he started, he got shipped off to the AIS, and then from that, uh, went to college, and then um, from that, you know, ended up you know, going to Europe. And all through this time, he was still a project player. He was a guy that no one ever really, um, no one ever really uh, sort of, you know, thought was going to keep going to that next level, but he just kept chipping away at his game, improving, improving. It still had a lot of deficiencies in his game all throughout that time, and got to the point where the San Antonio Spurs looked at him and went, geez, this guy has been playing basketball for at, at this stage for about six or seven years. Look what he's done. He's, he's got to Europe. He's, um, he's you know, played in the Olympics. We see some little things that he does well. We can probably expand his game a little bit further. And around that exact same time as well, when he sort of started to get to that NBA trajectory, he quit drinking. He, um, he, he stopped you know, drinking alcohol throughout, throughout the season. And that's when that and his efforts sort of saw him get to that next level and be able to get into the NBA. And then from there, just you know, it's amazing how working with um, someone like Tim Duncan has been able to to really elevate his game further. And he's just a guy who hasn't been playing that long. Basketball is his second sport, and he's just 
know, been able to, to grow himself into an NBA player. It's, it, it's an amazing story that doesn't get spoken about enough. You don't you don't see that particular. Oh, I'm trying to think back. I don't think I've ever seen or heard of that, in, especially in the sport of basketball. That you almost have someone that's not talent ID, but comes into the sport that late. Because usually these kids grow up with a with a basketball in their hands from you know two or three years old. Yeah, that that's exactly right. And the, the fact that you know he played the big man position, so he was never really relied on to really know how to dribble, so or or um or know how to shoot exactly. So or when he went into the sport, he was just you know learning about about how to um how to set picks, how to to play around the rim, how to rebound, how to be physical, how to block. And it's those skills that that have sort of he's worked on so well, and he's been able to add a little bit more to his game, like add a shot and um and and a few other things, his passing and and. So it's just all these little things that he's worked on, um, you know, little role player skills that has sort of got him into being an NBA player. It's interesting. You mentioned before the fact that uh, a lot of Australians kind of seem to forget that Aaron Baines is playing in the NBA. And I guess that kind of comes down to the fact that he kind of came out of nowhere. We didn't know uh, about him, particularly when he was a co- co- collegiate player like uh, Paddy Mills. Obviously, when Paddy Mills was playing for St. Mary's, we always got uh, St. Mary's games here in Australia. Likewise with Matthew Delvadova. We obviously saw a whole bunch from uh, Andrew Bogart as he was coming through the collegiate ranks and yep. going number one. It was plastered all over the uh, the newspapers and the like over here. Aaron Baines is one that you never heard about coming through the ranks, and all of a sudden, he gets picked up by the Spurs. So he's not really that guy that really had the background, and, and, and everyone... Uh, kind of knew about before he actually got to the league. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, a, I mean, there's, there's stories about all, all through the NBA and all through any uh, profession that if you work hard enough, you, you'll achieve your goals. But you know, it's, it's a classic case of this, you know, someone who has worked so hard for, um, for 10 or 11 years at, at a craft that he was only new to, and he's been able to, to get to the highest level. Beautiful, mate. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. What do you got coming up on, uh, on your show this week? Uh, well, it's the playoffs, so um, we're moving to a new episode every couple of days now um, until, until the season finishes, which hopefully you know, doesn't kill us too much. Now, supply and demand, my friend, supply and demand. <laughs> exactly. Too many good games. We've just got to talk about it more often. Perfect, mate. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'll speak to you very soon. We'll, we'll, we'll make sure to, to uh, keep chatting with you every week as long as the playoffs are on, because I'm sure there'll be uh, Aussies representing some team or other uh, all the way through the, uh, the NBA playoffs. Yeah, that sounds good, guys. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Lockie. We'll, uh, we'll speak soon. Have a good one. That brings us to the end of the show today. Chris Tyler and Lockie Miller. Lockie, what are you looking most forward to uh, to seeing this week? Tim Tebow. Again, back to Tim Tebow. Everything. Seeing what from Tim Tebow this week? Seeing how well he responds when he gets cut in the middle. <laughs> in the meantime, you can uh, catch our uh, our podcast at sen.com.au at theflagflies.com.au. You can also follow us on Twitter at theflagflies or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash theflagflies. Until then, have a good week.